Well, many of you know that we have been in Mexico for two weeks and uh, bring greetings from all of our missionaries down there. And um, then we, one week was missions and one week we were on vacation in Cozumel. Um, I want to suggest that to everyone. Um, amazing, absolutely amazing. Guys, I don't know how this didn't make our announcements. Um, but Friday night... We are having a primetime event, potluck dinner, and I am, this is for 55 and older, I am very excited about, uh, I get to speak this Friday night, and it's, it's called the, the Best Wine. And I am absolutely convinced that God has planned that the best wine is served last. That, that as we get into our older years, it is the express plan of God that we will have the most fruitful spiritual life of our whole lives, that we will have the most encounters with God, the, the, the most fruit of going into the kingdom in the last years. And I, I just want to encourage you, if you're 55 and older, whether you've come to ever come to a primetime event, if you, if you don't want to call it a primetime event because you don't like feel like you're that old, just come to a special meeting Friday night. Um, and, and I'm not, I, I'm a little sketchy on the details. I think it might start at six. I don't know, but it, it's probably in the bulletin. All right, let me tell you about this walnut. Um, this is a very important walnut. You're going to find out in this, sir, this, this could be what is keeping you back from fully entering the kingdom of God. And, and you're going to find out later in this message why what this represents could be the very thing that is keeping you from fullness. So you, everybody's got that to look forward to in this message, this this walnut. This guy's going to come back out because there is a story behind him. All right, let's stand in honor of God's word. Um, we are starting a series in Matthew calling "Let Your Kingdom Come." This is this you're 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 in the right place at the right. This is week one. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near." As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And that's it. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I sense your excitement, your joy over us and over this message. Lord, you, you want everybody to be on the right path. You want everybody to be positioned for the adventure that you have for them. Now, Lord, you know everything. 
you, you know the hidden things. You know what's actually going on. We can appear to be one thing and something else is going on in our hearts. Lord, unfortunately, the only way to go forward sometimes is to be brutally honest with where we are. And so, Lord, we're asking you, Jesus, break any deception over us. Let light come into our darkness. Get us on your path, we pray. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you and, and uh, for every good thing that's gonna happen here now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So Jesus is beginning his ministry, and he says, I'm here, and I'm, but I didn't come alone. I'm bringing the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king. He's heaven's king, but he came to earth and he didn't come alone. He brought the very culture of heaven. The very culture of the kingdom of heaven is with him. It is time that heaven's culture breaks in to earth. And he is, is, he's excited. And he says, repent. Because there is a new kingdom, there is a new culture, and the beginning of that culture, to enter into this culture, the beginning is repentance. Repentance. Entering the kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Here's Here's how the book of Matthew ends. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus came to bring them into the kingdom. And a disciple is somebody that is fully in and fully on this adventure, fully, has fully embraced the culture of this new kingdom. And so the, the whole book of Matthew is written around this very last verse about discipleship. It was used in the early church as a manual for discipleship. It's, it's all around five sermons that Jesus gives. There's, there's text in between of what he did, but there's five sermons that Jesus gives. I will talk about them. We're going to be talking about them for about 16 weeks, but I'll give you a, a quick preview of those five sermons near the end of this message. This is about the kingdom of God on earth, the culture that the kingdom brings, and this this grabbing a hold of, this following Jesus into the kingdom. To fully enter the kingdom with confidence, you have to answer three calls. Today's message is called entering the kingdom. The first call is to turn. Repentance in the easiest terms means you are going this way, and it means to turn. You were, you were going your, your own way. Maybe, maybe the best 
scripture to describe sin is Isaiah 53, 6, that when we were like sheep, each going our own way. And while we were doing that, the Lord laid the iniquity of us all on Christ. We were going one way. We were going our own way. The center of the word sin is the letter I. And it's a good way to think about sin. Sin is, the center of sin is I. It's when I'm in charge, I'm doing it my way, I am going my way. And sin looks very different on different people. Some people you, you are very overtly sinful, and others are very self-righteous. And they, they look good, and they've cleaned things up, but it's still about them. It's still about them going their own way. Repentance is when I turn from my agenda, my kingdom, my way, and I turn around and start following, start going a different way. One of my first experiences around this need for repentance, I, I, I was recently set on fire for God, and I was, we were, I was part of a group actually at this uh, church that would we would go down on Saturday nights and just grab people on the campus mall and talk about Jesus. We we would have sometimes preachers, we'd sometimes have drama, we'd sometimes have worship, but it was all about these one-on-one conversations with people about Jesus. And I'm I'm just brand new to this. I'm very excited about it. And I, I remember distinctly talking to this one lady and and I, I, I and I, I don't really know how to evangelize at this point. And I'm just like, she's, she's not engaging. And I said, listen, try, just try Jesus. Try him. It, trust me, it, Jesus is amazing. Just try him out. And she says these words to me. I've already tried him. And he didn't work. That's what, he, that's what she said to me. And she walks away. And I am so troubled. I am just like, what? How, how can you try Jesus and he not work? And I'm, I'm not specifically addressing God. I just throw this question out there. I'm very confused as a young Christian. And I'm startled by the sentence that comes into my mind, unbidden by me. Here's the sentence. She never followed me. She tried to get me to follow her. She never followed me. She tried to get me to follow her. I'm going my own way. I'm doing my own thing. I'm living my own life. This is so American. And I want to have Jesus help me do my life. I want, I, I want to keep going my own way, but I, want, I could use some help. If God can help, I'm, I'm, I'm open to help. Jesus can make this thing better, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring him along too. If, I, if church will help, I'll bring a little church. But I'm going my way. I'm doing my thing. You could try it. It doesn't work, though. To come into the kingdom, you've got to turn around. You've got to turn around. You can't be the middle anymore. Jesus has to be the middle. <laughs> when John Bevere was here in August, 
we did a big thing at the Princeton Club, and he showed this video, and it's this guy, these two guys in a car, and they are going from San Diego, or from Los Angeles, down to San Diego. Um, and they're, they're driving in the car, they're on their way, and Siri starts talking to them. Uh, you need to make a U-turn. Turn around, turn around at the next, but this guy is absolutely insistent. Uh, you cannot trust Siri, you cannot trust GPS. We're going the right way. I've been this way a hundred times. Trust me, this is the right way. And, and so there, then that, it goes out and then it comes to another clip and it's, they're still driving. And Siri is still saying, you need to turn around, wrong way. You gotta turn around. Um, we need to recalculate this thing. And he's, he says to his friend, nope, 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 I'm, I'm going the right way. Fades again, comes back again. Now they're in Canada. <laughs> there is snow all around, and the friend is trying to gently suggest that maybe this is the wrong way. Maybe we need to turn around. Sometimes we think that God's love will automatically turn us around. No, God's love will come and speak to us faithfully. You need to turn around. Wrong way, wrong way, wrong way. You need to make a U-turn. You are heading in the wrong direction. Warning, turn around. On the way back from Mexico, we, were, uh, we had a long flight and, and we, had, we could watch movies and I watched this, the new movie uh, about Charles Dickens and about the Christmas Carol. It is very interesting, and I'm not, the movie was kind of weird, actually, but the theme, a modern movie about the topic of repentance. It's the story of uh, Charles Dickens is very grieved. He's writing this because he's very grieved at uh, England. This is mid-19th century, um, Christian in name, but hardened and selfish and the poor are suffering all around them and they've missed the the spirit of christianity they've they, they've missed it and so he, he he writes this tale about about scrooge ebenezer scrooge and and it starts with his, his dead business partner, Jacob Marley, uh, appearing to him. And um, he appears to him, and he's got all of these chains on him. And, and, and he's calling out to Scrooge. And Scrooge is like, doesn't want to see it, doesn't want to see it, doesn't want to acknowledge it. And, and it, he's, he's called the man of the worldly mind. He doesn't want there to be any more. So finally... His business partner, Jacob Marley, gets him to, he says, you've been given an opportunity. Heaven is giving you an opportunity. The chains that I'm wearing, that I, I forged them. We, we were wrong. We lived wrong. We lived for the wrong thing. And Scrooge is like, uh, hey, thanks for the offer, but I am too old to change. I can't change. And, and Jacob, you, you are good businessman and he screams mankind was my business and he 
he, sa- he, he, he says to, to, to Scrooge that he's going to be visited. And, and so you got these three spirits that visit him, and one shows him how he became hardened, and one shows him how he, he is presently and compares him to people that, that are operating in the true spirit of Christmas and of Christianity. And, um, and then, uh, but, but he's, he's, he's too far gone. Men can't change. You can't really change. I'm already going in this way. Leave me alone. Don't trouble me. This is the course I've set. I can't be changed. But then the, Christmas, the spirit of Christmas future comes to him. And he sees, uh, he sees Tiny Tim has died. Tiny Tim, this, is, this was the, the big issue was, was how children were being treated in England. And Tiny Tim was not just some one out there. It was a, a child, you know, Bob Cratchit, his, his uh, employee, who was a great man. That was his son. And the reason why Tiny Tim dies is because there wasn't help. There wasn't financial help to get the care that he needed. And then he goes to, this, to his grave and sees his unattended grave and... Um, and he gets down on his knees and he starts begging heaven. He starts begging this angel. Are these the things that will be? Are you just showing me what is going to be? Or are these the things that may be? And that, that if a man changes his ways, if he changes his direction, the things could be different. And then he finds himself waking up and it's Christmas morning. And it's not too late. He's still on this earth. And it's, it's the story about a man that repents. A man that turns from being one way, going in one direction, to becoming as good a man as you could find. And changing his ways. And, and of course, the, the exciting thing is that Tiny Tim lives. Because he turned, the whole world was changed. You know what Jesus said? He said there's more joy over one sinner repenting than over 99 staying righteous. Repentance is beautiful. Repentance is powerful. Repentance doesn't just change you. It changes the whole world. It doesn't say there's great joy when a sinner goes to church. It says there's great joy when a sinner repents. The call to repent. Second, the call to leave. Jesus had announced and came to them, and it says uh, about Andrew and Peter that they, they left their nets. And then about James and John, it says they left their boat, and they left their father. Now, obviously, in the text, this is a literal leaving, but I want to talk about the metaphorical leaving, that it's, a, it's about leaving what you were living for so that you can follow him, 
The, the nets in the boat speak of living for, that's their business, they're fishermen. It's leaving money, leaving the pursuit of money, leaving just, just most of America lives for money. And what makes their decisions at the end of the day is what money is saying. Jesus said, you can't serve God in money. You, you, we've, we've, got to, we, we've got to turn. We've got to leave living simply to pay the bills. We, there's, a, there's a leaving behind. Of course, the rich young ruler, he's living for money. He's, he's so religious, but he's, his, 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 his foundation is money. And he leaves Jesus sad because he doesn't want to change. He doesn't want to leave the boat and the nets. And then it says they left their father. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. We have to leave the opinions of everybody else. You, you can't live both for God and for the opinion of your mom or your dad or some significant, your wife or your husband or what culture wants you to do. You can't live both for Jesus and for the opinions of somebody else. There is a leaving behind so that you can follow Jesus. So my, my conversion experience is very interesting because it really happened in two stages. In the spring of 1981, um, I was led to Christ. I, I prayed the sinner's prayer. I, I, and I've told that story a hundred times. And it, 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 was very, it was very real for me that, that salvation was a gift and Jesus came in and the, the, king, the king came in. When you open the door, Jesus comes in. And I accepted the king, but I didn't, I didn't accept a new culture. I, I had turned, but I, but I hadn't left my culture. And so I'm, I just go on living. It was actually right at the end of the, the school year, and, and the people that led me to Christ, I, I, I wasn't with them. I went back home for the summer, and, and I, was, I still had the same music, I still had the same lifestyle. I was a partier. Uh, I still had the same language. I, I had a horribly filthy mouth. I still had the same friend. Everything was the same in my culture. Everything was the same, even though I had turned. I, I remember distinctly that summer because my best friends were my cousins. And I remember being drunk around the campfire and I'm sharing them about Christ. <laughs> I'm, I'm sharing how, what happened to me, and, and I'm sharing about Jesus, and it, it's a confusing, it's a confusing message. Um, I come back to fourth floor celery, and, and I'm living, I'm living two lives. I, I literally go to the, the, go to the Bible study, and from the Bible study, I go with my other friends to the bar, and cussing, swearing, and even witnessing, 
it just, it was just very confusing. I remember this one guy comes to me, he says, he says, I like you. I like you. You talk about Jesus, but you still get drunk and you still swear. And, and he said, I like you. And I'm just like, huh, I'm not sure that was a compliment. I don't know what that was. But I'm, do, I'm, I'm just doing both. I'm not, I, I don't know how, but I'm, do, I'm doing both. And, um, and then I have this encounter with the fear of the Lord. I had just been home. It was a great weekend. The, I, pl- I was a trumpet player. The family band had played at a big event, and everybody loved us. There was a tennis tournament that weekend in Milton. I won the tennis tournament. All, I had all my friends around me, all my family around me. It was just this great weekend. And I'm literally, I'm back in my dorm room in Madison, and I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about how everybody likes me. And the Holy Spirit, and I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit at the time. But I have this question, this, this directive come into my mind. Here's what the directive was. You can have all this, or you can have God. But in the end, you will, it only matters what God thinks. You, you will give an account to God. It wasn't in... It wasn't an account. I, I wouldn't have used that word. It was, it was but in the end, well, you, you choose whatever you want to. You can have all this, or you can have God. You can't have both. But in the end, it's only going to matter what, what God thinks. This was just very real to me. <clears throat> and I am just, and I'm thinking about this because I know my family, I know my friends, I know how they feel about people that are into Jesus. They, we, we called them Jesus freaks. It, it was okay to be a Christian on Sunday morning. It was okay to, to, to go to do religion at religion's time. But if you talked about Jesus when it wasn't Sunday, that's, that's, you've gone too far. You're, you're, you're a freak. And I, I, it was very clear to me that this is not going to go well. This will, not, this will not play well if I, if I really, if this is what I become. But I, I could not get away, and this is why I call it an encounter with the fear of the Lord. I couldn't get away from the fact that in a hundred years, the choice that I wish that I would have made would be to follow God. In a hundred years, it doesn't matter what anybody on this earth thought about you. It doesn't even matter what you thought about you. 100 years from now, the only thing that will matter is what God thought about you. And I decided, I decided to please God. I decided I'm going to go with the thing that I'm going to glad I went with 100 years from now. And I left. In my heart, I left my family. I left the opinion of my friends and the life that I had made and the image that I had cultivated. I left it. And I became a Jesus freak. (laughs) Honestly. And, you know, I wish I could say that everything I feared proved not to be true, that they were okay with it, and it was great. And, no, everything I thought was going to happen, happened. 
Actually, probably worse because, well, I was kind of crazy. <laughs> You've turned. You prayed the prayer. Have you left? Have you, have you left what you were? Have you left it? Or are you still trying to have both? And then there's the third step. To turn, the call to turn, the call to leave, and then this call to follow. Jesus has a great adventure for us. Being a Christian is the greatest adventure on this planet. But when you don't enter into it, when you don't fully enter into it, you leave yourself vulnerable. You leave yourself open. Let, let, me, let me read to you um, Hebrews chapter 11, 15 and 16. We'll probably have it up here. Yeah. If they had, this is the people of faith. This is the, the great people of faith. It starts with Abel and Abraham and David, and, and it's listing all the great people of faith. And then it says this about the people of faith. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Why does God give us an opportunity to go back? Why is he so insistent that we get a choice at every stage? We turn, then he calls us to leave, and then he calls us to follow. But he leaves open this opportunity to go back. Why is that? Have you noticed how much God values our free will and our love? Our, our, our love really demands our freedom. And so what happens is, when you stay right at the door, okay, I, gee, I turn and I'm leaving my past and here I am at the door, but I don't enter in. I become this, I've got one foot here and I still got one foot here and it's, you want to go forward, but you keep thinking about how good it used to be. How good that food was in Egypt. Those Egyptians weren't that bad. At least life was predictable. And all of a sudden, you get this image of what I used to be and what I used to have, and that maybe my life was better then than it was now, and this is more difficult than that. And God says, you want to go back? Go ahead. And many, 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 many people go back. I remember when I first got saved, uh, my sister, Sheila, who major intellect, I... Uh, got together with her, and she said, she said, Tommy, I am not even worried about you. Everybody else is worried about you. Everybody else is worried that you're in some type of, I'm not even worried. And she said, here's why. She said, My, I had friends in college that went through the born-again phase, and eventually they got over it. You'll get over this. It's probably the worst thing she could have said to me. I'm a very, very stubborn person. I mean, it was, it was probably God that had her say it that way. Um, because once she said that, there's no way I'm, I'm going back. Just sheer pride, I'm not going back. <laughs> if you don't go into the adventure, you're very vulnerable about 
fantasizing about the old life and what I used to have and uh, uh, the, quote, freedom that I used to have. So this series is all about an adventure that Jesus wants to have, us to have. He wants to give us heaven. The first sermon is the, is the Beatitudes. He wants to give us heaven's life, heaven's character. He wants to teach us. to. He is meek and humble in heart. He wants to transform us into his very beauty, his very image. He wants to clean up the inside of our, our cup and teach us how to flow in this life in the kingdom. The second sermon is on his ministry and the instructions for ministry. He wants to share now his ministry with us. He wants us to be part of the work of the kingdom. He he wants to make us fishers of men. He wants us to be part of the rescue that's happening on planet Earth right now. He came to seek and save the lost. He wants us to to be trained to seek and save the lost and to take on this identity of witness with him. The third sermon that he gives is on is on, on worldview. It's on, on how the kingdom works. It's about the growth of the kingdom, and it's not anything like they thought. It works as seeds, and it starts small, and, and, and there's tears, and it's a mess right now. And, and there's a whole sermon on how to view the kingdom. His fourth sermon, it starts in Matthew 16 and goes all the way to 18, is on the community of the kingdom. And, and the, the authority that in this community and how to forgive in this community and why forgiveness is the center of this community and, and mercy and how to, if things are wrong, how to make things right. And it's all about the, this church, this community he is building that will overcome the gates of hell. That there's going to be little places on earth that are going to learn how to live in kingdom culture and you literally come among them and you're going to start experiencing the kingdom. It's a community. And then the last sermon he gives is on the future of the kingdom. And that this, we're not in a circle on planet earth where it's just the same old, same old, and just repeating, repeating, history repeating. No, no, it's linear. It's heading somewhere. There is an ending coming. There is an imminent ending. It could come any time. And Jesus wants us to know it is actually about the future. It is about what is coming. This is a time of testing. This is a time of refining. But the, 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 biggest, the biggest things are still in our future. And he wants to, to, to instill that. And I'm, I'm, obviously, we're going to talk about those, so I'm not going to talk about them right now. Let's get to this walnut. I want to talk about the walnut. This walnut is about the question, what happens when Christians who turned, left, and entered, and they're in the kingdom, what happens when they start going the wrong direction? When Jesus appears, his, his last appearance is actually in the book of Revelation. He appears to John on Patmos. And there's, he's, he's talking to seven churches in major uh, 
Asia Minor, which is today's present-day Turkey. There's seven churches there. And the risen Christ has a word for them because five of the seven churches have, have, even though they're in the kingdom, they've started going the wrong way, and they need to repent again. They need to turn again. And, and he comes, and, and, and he comes, and he's, he's, just, he's just brutally honest. He, he sees, when he looks at us, he sees through. He sees through the outward. He sees through what man sees, and, and he knows what's going on. He, 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 he sees the, the church at Ephesus, that, that they're, they're all about human effort and human zeal, and they're doing a lot, and they're believing the right things, and they're, but, but it's, and, and they're very on fire, but it's all in human zeal, and the proof of it is they've left their first love. They're no longer doing it because they love Jesus. It's because they love their doctrine. They love their church. They love their, and they're, they're filled with zeal, but it's human zeal, not, it's no longer divine fire. And he calls them to repent. And he sees in Pergamum that immorality has gotten in and, and, and the adventure is plugged because of immorality and, he, and, he, and he's calling them to, to repent and that he will purify them. And the, the church of Thyatira is given into the fear of man and, and they're, they're afraid to confront somebody that's, that's a, a strong personality and, and they're, they're just kind of letting her do her thing and, and, the, and, and Jesus is, is rebuking them. Because it's stopping the adventure. Church at Sardis is brutal for us because it's a, it's a charismatic church. It's a church that has been alive in the spirit. They believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They believe in God doing signs and wonders. And here's what he says. He looks at this church and he says this. You guys have a reputation that you're alive. The sign on the door says you're alive but you're dead. Wake up, he says. Wake up. Repent. Don't, I don't want to come to you like a thief in the night. Wake up. Repent. And then, of course, the church at Laodicea, which is a special church, especially concerning America, because it's the prosperous church. And they've got, they've got life so easy, and they've got, they've got big medical clinics. And they, I mean, if you know the history of Laodicea, when, when it was destroyed by an earthquake, they refused Rome's help to rebuild. They, we'll do this ourselves. We, we've got gifts. We've got, this was where the doctors lived and the white-collar people, and they rebuilt on their own. And, and this, had, this had come over into the spirit where they had, were saying in their spirit, we need nothing, we need nothing, and they'd become lukewarm. And Jesus saw it. The adventure was, was stopped. And so he says, repent. So let's talk about that walnut. So uh, we get the call down in Mexico, probably a text from my daughter, Beth, and it's, it's, the, it's the, the news that no, no man wants to hear. The car has broken down. And it is the transmission. They can't, they can't, they can't get the transmission, the, the, the shifter to go into drive. It's, it's stuck in, in reverse. They, they got it for a little while into drive, but it could only go 30 miles an hour. And they, they got it home, and now it is stuck 
the, the, the transmission is stuck, and it can only go in reverse. And so I get this call, uh, this information early in my trip, and when men hear transmission, they are thinking to themselves, a minimum of $1,500. Minimum. And that's a rebuilt transmission. You want a new one? You're, you're talking much higher than that. I mean, there's no way, if it is your, this is the one thing you do not want it to go in your used car. Because when the transmission goes, it means you have to make a decision, should I fix it or should I get a different car? And of course, the problem with a used car is you've already got so much invested in it from all those other repairs that you made. And so it's already got new tires, it's got new this, it's got new that because you've repaired everything else. And, uh, and so I've got this little cloud over me and I had to fight that off so that I can enjoy Mexico. Every man knows what this is like. And of course, the first hope is that it's something simple. The simplest thing it could be is that the transmission fluid is gone. And here's why it's not working. There's no fluid. And so I, I get back. I, I, we get in Thursday night, Friday morning. After my morning stuff, I, I come out and I flip that hood open. And we look at the, pull, pull the transmission fluid. And sure enough, it's, it's right below the lowest place. At low, here's high. And I'm like, oh, dear Lord, maybe it is just the fluid. This would be a mercy from heaven. So I run out to the gas station, and I get transmission fluid, and I come in, and I fill this thing up, and I get it just right. And, and, uh, and I'm, just, I'm just like, Lord, this would be so great if this is all it was. And so I put it in reverse, and, I dri- and as I'm driving out, I'm like, you know what? I better not go in the middle of the street. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go right up against our curb so that if this thing still doesn't work. And so I go right up against the curb, and then I'm, okay, I'm gonna, it's time. It's time. And I try to get into drive, and I, it won't go into drive. And I push, and I push, and I push, and it won't go into drive. And now it's on the street. Now the mailman can't come. What have I done? <laughs> so I call AAA, and I, they tow it to our... Our, our repair guy, and, and it's Beth's car, and so Beth's going to be very involved in this, and, and I'm like, you know, you're going to, we're going to, we'll get the bid, we'll find out what, how bad it is, and so uh, we're waiting, we're waiting for the call, and he calls me, and he says, uh, he says, I've got some good news. He said, here's what's going on with your transmission. There's a walnut. There, there was a walnut stuck in your transmission. Squirrels, squirrels like to go to warmth. And in the middle of winter, they will crawl up and, and, and there, there is a walnut in your trans, transmission. There's nothing wrong with the transmission. There's a walnut in it. Now, I don't know how, this is a separate topic, I don't know how the bill could be 400, over $400 to get rid of a walnut. <laughs> That's another subject for another day, but, but $400 is different than $1,500.
So I spent a lot of time thinking about this walnut. Oh, I went to pay the bill, and I, I'm writing the checkout for $400 plus, and he says to me this, do you want the walnut? And I'm like, you better believe I want the walnut. For $400, I think I've earned the walnut. But I've spent, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, that anybody that saw that car would think that that car was fine. Little did they know that it could only go one direction, and it was the wrong direction. See, what happens, guys, we're walking along in our Christian life, and all of a sudden, something, something's going on, and we can't, we can't go forward anymore. We're, something, we're, we're, we're neutral. Neutral is the best. And, but whenever we have any motion, it's backwards. And we can't figure out what happened. I was following God. I was serving God. I was, I was, I was, I was in an adventure at one point, and it's not happening anymore. I've lost, I've lost that fire. I've lost that sense of excitement. I've lost my delight in God. I've, I've lost my joy in God. And so I'm just kind of, I still go to church, still read the Bible, but I'm, I'm kind of in neutral and, made, and probably going backwards. And sometimes I think we get really discouraged by the enemy because we think whatever the problem is, it is so massive it will be like having to rebuild our transmission. This is, this is a massive problem. Something is seriously wrong. And Jesus came to these five churches and he said, yeah, there's something wrong, but here's what it is. While you were doing life, squirrels came into that hidden place and just stuck this in there. While you were going about your life, these little, these little creatures of darkness <laughs> slipped, slipped something in so you can't go forward right now. And, and this is what it is. And all you need to do is pull it. All you need to do is repent and you're right back on the adventure. You don't need a new car. You don't need a new transmission. You just need to pull that walnut. And you want to know something beautiful about that first century church in Turkey? They pulled the walnut. For the next 300 years, the center of Christianity was Turkey. The first seven councils of Christianity were all from Turkey. The Council of Nicaea is where we get the Nicaean Creed. It was a, it was a hot spot for Christianity. Since that time... Turkey's gone very, very cold to the gospel. Right now, Turkey is one of the least Christian countries in the entire world. 0.2% to the maximum of 2%. 0.2% Christian is what they know about, but they think it could be as high as 2%. Every, every other country, Syria, Iran, Iraq, all have more Christians than Turkey. To keep the fire going, we've got to deal with our walnuts. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Could we stand together?
I've asked Christy to do an old, old song, and uh, we're going to do two verses of it, and then we're going we're to do the call, prayer call. Leave every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. To enter the kingdom of God, you can't, you can't just come to a church. <laughs> you have to repent. Maybe, maybe you're here today and it has occurred to you that maybe whatever religion you've had and however much you've been around, that you've never really repented. You've never really turned from living for yourself to, to following Jesus. I want to assure you something. The Lord's excited about you. He loves you. He died on the cross for you. When he, when he looks at you, he thinks of the adventure he has planned for you. And he says, repent, for the kingdom is near you right now. I am here, and I've brought a whole culture with me. But I need you to repent. I love you, but this isn't about me following you. This is about you turning around you following me and if that's you today Jesus says to that church at Laodicea behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and so this is this is first time this is you you're not sure your sins are forgiven you're not sure that Jesus lives in you you're not sure that if you died you'd go to heaven but you believe Jesus is knocking today I have people do this privately because this is between you and God this isn't to impress somebody else this is you and God this is you and that that hundred years from now question who am I going to please is it going to be man or is it going to be God so this is between you and God the reason why people raise their hands is I like to help people just pray that prayer because somebody helped me with the words to pray. So if that's you, Jesus is knocking and today you want to repent. You want to open your door. Would you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it? And we're going to pray that prayer. Okay. All over this place. Here's the second call. You know what? I think we need to pray the first call because I have a feeling that I missed a few hands. <laughs> I just saw a hand go down. So let's pray that. Put your hand over your heart if you raised your hand for that. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you for loving me. Thank you for, for not letting me just go my own way. Thank you that you have been following me. You have been following me. You have been running me down. You, you, you seek to save that which is lost. Today, Lord, I, I hear your voice. I hear your, and God, by your grace right now, I just, I turn around. I turn around to follow you. I receive right now your gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen.
So here's the second call. God has brought to your attention that there's a walnut in your life. It could be the fear of man. It could be your own human zeal. It could be you've just become lukewarm. It could be immorality, that you've, you've slipped and, and you've kind of justified immorality and justified acting out on your lusts. And it, 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 it could be that you're the, you've been riding on reputation, that you got the name that you're alive, so you assumed you were alive, but Jesus has come to you so faithfully today and just said, uh, I, here's what's really going on. Dead, you're dead on the inside. And I'm just, I'm just calling you to own it and repent. I will remove the walnut for you. This is not a massive rebuild. This is not, this is just, I need, we need to get you going in the right direction again. If that's you, would you just open your arms like this in the received position? I want to pray for you. Lord, it's so interesting that when we come together in this community that you've created called the church, that it's just, it's a little easier to see what's wrong. It's a little easier to hear your voice. And <laughs> there's a good reason why some people stay away from church. They, they don't want it to be that clear. They don't want to see clearly. They don't want to hear those words. But Lord, these that are here today, Lord, we, we, we just want to hear you. We, we want to walk with you. We want to go forward. We don't want to be stuck. We don't want to be in reverse. We don't want to be in neutral. We want to go forward into everything you have. And so, God, we just own right now whatever is wrong in our hearts, whatever kind of got slipped in without us looking. We own it. We confess it before you. And Jesus, by your grace right now, we repent. Pull that walnut out, God. And Father, I pray for every single one that's praying this, something like this prayer, that you would restore now the joy, the excitement of salvation and of following you and Jesus, we just, we want to be all in.